you know, giving someone every other weekend off or giving someone a weekday off or, or not having to work every week. Like it's just very different now. And we just have to adapt just like adapting to our customers. We as a staff and funeral home have to adapt at the same time too. Yeah, explain to a 65-year-old funeral director what work-life balance is. <laughs> Go ahead. I want to be a fly on the wall for that Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Mortuary Show. Today we have on Nick. He's not a first, not a second, not a third, not a fourth, but a fifth generation funeral director. He's got us all beat. What's going on, Nick? How you doing? How's it going, Mike? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about um, your family legacy. Like five generations is crazy. When did your funeral home open up shop? And tell us a little bit about your history, because I think all of us directors, a lot of us come from family background or work for a family background. So it's always cool to hear funeral homes that have been around for this long. How do they do it? And how can we, you know, live up to that reputation and get to that level? Sure. So uh, I, my brother Sal and I uh, own and operate uh, Ferenger Brothers Funeral Home in the Bronx. We also have a place in Yonkers as well. Nice. Uh, like you said, I'm fifth generation. My company started in 1896. My great great grandfather came from Italy and he was a carpenter and he would build things like furniture and drawers and caskets. And he fell in with the oh. funeral director crowd and was like, hey, this is a better gig than I have going on. So he started his own business. Um, actually died shortly after he started the business and my great grandfather had to take over when he was 14 years old. We have a, a great picture of him in a big top hat and cane and, uh, you know, the ascot and everything. He got, he yeah, got the, whole, yeah. the whole drip, uh, when he was 14 years old and then, and his mother as well, I believe she was one of the first female funeral directors in New York city. She had to be uh, in 1896, you know, soon thereafter. Uh, you know, there, there wasn't many female funeral directors. So that's kind of how we started. Uh, we were in Little Italy originally for a short amount of time, moved up to Harlem on 116th and 3rd. Uh, we were there from the late 1800s to, I think it was like 2007, 2008, when we sold that business. So that entire 1900s, we, we were there. Uh, in the 50s, crazy. the mid-50s, my grandfather moved up to the Bronx. All the uptown Italians went to the Bronx or the downtown Italians went to Brooklyn. That's why there's such a big community in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. uh, we were on the Bronx side. Uh, so we've been there since then. And just, you know, passing along the, the legacy uh, and just trying to live up to what our previous generation did. And, and hopefully we're, yeah. we're doing right by all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. My family's a, a similar kind of situation. My, uh, my great grandfather started the biz and came from Ireland and he had to go to world war one and his his brother which would have been my great grandfather um had to step up when he was super young like the same he couldn't get drafted into the war and so he stepped up at the funeral home his brother came back he ended up i don't think not he was not very okay after the war i think dealing with you know ptsd or whatever it was sure and my my great grandfather kind of carried on the business all the South side Irish moved to the North side, just like you kind of people moving around and everyone kind of stuck with their crew, especially back in the day. So we right. moved to the North side and then it was the same deal, you know, 80 years in one location. And uh, then we kind of bounced around a little bit from there too. So that's super cool that you, you've got that story. And I have a feeling that's gotta be 
huge for your business and your family's like having that reputation of being around so long. Do you think that helps you a ton? I, I think it does for us. Like, I think people have more trust. Would you say the same thing? Sure. It's a huge benefit because, um, you know, smart people learn from their mistakes. Really smart people will learn from other people's mistakes. So That's when smart. you build on that generational knowledge and pass that along, well, now you have a real arsenal to help solve whatever problem comes up, whatever the family needs. You know, we've been there, done that. So it's nothing new to, you know, fold under pressure or anything like that. We've seen it all. We've been through it all. So it really does bring value to what we do. And that translates to the families. And I think they see that. I think they appreciate that. I get the same reaction that you did when I, you know, when I tell people, um, yeah. you know, in my arrangement office, I have all of our licenses on the wall. So my great, great grandfather, my great, great grandmother, my cool. great, so it's all there. And, you know, in a quiet moment when I'm writing down, you know, the vital stats or whatever, you know, they're looking around and they see, and they, Hey, what's that thing from a hundred years ago? And then I have to tell the whole story and it's, you know, awesome. uh, they, they, yeah, it, it brings comfort knowing that, Listen, this place isn't going anywhere. Uh, they've they've been around, seen it all. So um, it definitely gives a little peace of mind for the family. And I think the it being family oriented, like you guys are, I think that's huge. And like other people resonate with that when they're going through a loss, they want to deal with someone that knows how to deal with families in their situation. And um, I also love what you said about learning from other people's mistakes is so huge. And and obviously we're going to mess up too. And just learning from that. And I love that part where it kind of compiles over those generations. So your family's seen it all. I'm sure as you know, a lot of funeral homes that have been around for over a hundred years, like you've seen a lot of stuff and to, to be able to weather those storms, whether it was like your great grandfather, probably during the great depression, like stuff like that, to be able to get through that. And then hard times over the years, I'm sure plenty of internal conflict in your family. Like, I know how it goes. Like it's, it's just the way the nature of the business, but to be able to overcome that is like, that's special and that's so unique. And, um, that's cool. Where do you see your kind of business going, um, for, for you and your brother? Well, what's, what's your goals for the future and for your business? Well, I have two very small, um, children, so I'd love to see them Congrats. in the business one day. Um, I wouldn't force it on them. Yeah. Like my dad didn't force me or my brother to do it. We just, were just naturally drawn to it. Um, but it would mean it would mean the world to me. And my brother has has uh, three kids as well. So it would mean the world to us if we did pass it along. Uh, you know, the future of the industry is a little bleak and, uh, you know, uphill in a battle. Yeah. So I worry for that for them. Um, but if they uh, if they really want to follow in the footsteps and they really want to learn and get trained from from me and my brother and we can impart all of our knowledge on them. Um, I'm sure that they can figure it out any, you know, future uh, challenges that they might come into. Super cool. Uh, you said your dad didn't force you. I was in the same boat. My dad didn't force me. What did that look like when you were making that decision? How old were you and what kind of led you to it? Was it something that was always in the back of your mind or did, was that something that kind of developed over time? I did not want to be a funeral director. Same. I did not want anything to do with it. My whole, uh, I, I'm a very against the grain guy. If everyone's telling me to do something, I want to do the complete opposite. <laughs> so my whole life, everyone's like, oh, well, your father's a funeral director. He has his own business. Obviously, yeah. going to do that. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Just because you're saying that, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I always had in the back of my mind, all right, I'm not going to do that. Definitely not going to do that. Turned like 12, uh, 12 years old, 12, 13, going into summer, going into high school. Uh -huh. And my dad's like, 
all right, you're almost an adult now. It's time to start working and start paying for stuff. I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, what kind of job can I can I do? And he's like, you can always work at the funeral home. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. So I started as a, as a porter, maintenance man. My first day, my dad hands me a mop. He's like, the toilet's overflowing. Get in there. So <laughs> that was my first day in the job. Yep, and, yep. you know, cutting grass and polishing brass doorknobs and, you know, really starting from the bottom. Yeah. Um, he, he did that on purpose for That's both my brother and I. Good. I love it's that. definitely the way to do it. I, yeah. I didn't get it growing up, but now I 100% agree right, and, and right. do that. So that's how I started. And, you know, once you're inside the walls and you're behind the scenes, I mean, it's undeniable. You can't yeah. You see the magic that's done, you know, with, with the yeah. body work. You see the appreciation that's done with the families, you know, when you do a really good job. And how could you not fall in love with that? I mean, it's just yeah. it's so rewarding. You know, helping people in general is always a good thing. Helping people at the worst time, it's just, you know, it's goodness on steroids. You just, you can't, it's undeniable. Yeah. When you get that kind of response from a family, like I, we all know what that feeling is and that's why we do it. I'm confident that that is 95% of us. Like that's why we yeah. do it is because we're making a difference and it's just, it's just special. Like I've, I've, I've worked for other jobs. I've done other things and just nothing competes. And yeah, once you kind of get that first touch of it, it's it's hard to shake. Was there ever a time that you were kind of unsure, like going through this? Or um, I know some people like over the years, like it kind of does take a toll on you. Was there ever a time where you were like, man, this is this is a little bit tough? Or at the beginning, maybe was it where you like, I don't know? Or how did that go for you? The first real seed of doubt was probably my first autopsy post. Yeah. And uh, I was so in the head and just, it just wouldn't seal the, it was, yeah. you know, ripping and, and I just, I wanted to throw my hands up and just walk away. I was like, I can't do this. I, I literally can't do this, but yeah. excuse myself, took a break, just, you know, got some water and just kind of regrouped, got back in it, finished it. And then I felt so much better when I, with the finished product. And then I was thinking, you know, I hit a real, a real speed bump there and I almost quit, but I stuck with it. I got through it and now I feel 10 times better. So from there, I just solidified kind of what I want to do. Yeah, that's the key. I think um, you deal with a lot of tough situations and if you're able to kind of overcome them, it gives you just more confidence in yourself and your abilities. And we see some tough stuff every day, obviously. And um, just being able to be a person that's able to overcome it, see it for what it is and kind of have that frame of mind that you're doing it for a family member and just that gives you a whole different level of respect for yourself and for the situation you're in overcoming those odds and i think that's um such such a cool thing what is what is your day-to-day -day life like now in the funeral home um what is your kind of role um at your two funeral homes sure um i make most of the arrangements um, I'm very organized and um, compartmentalized so I can um, figure out what's the best way to go about the whole situation, who to put in what situation, right. uh, you know, who's going to embalm this body, who's going to do the removal, this and that. Um, so, you know, day-to-day -day stuff, just kind of setting the schedule on what's going to happen that day, what needs to get done, organizing all that and, and you know, telling who, who to do what. Um, the business aspect of it as well. I'm very involved with that. Um, I made a conscious decision probably five years ago or so. Um, you know, not that embalming is a lost art, but the more and more time goes on, 
the less and less people are viewing, um, or even if you do the best embalming job ever, you know, they can still find, you know, a little thing wrong with it. Or if the makeup isn't perfect, that messes up everything, you know? So I, I, I knew that that was the way of the future then running a sound business was super important. Yes. So I really focused on that. And I had a great teacher, my dad, who's an excellent, amazing uh, businessman. So I really bend his ear as much as I can and take whatever advice I can from him. I'm on the phone with him, you know, almost daily. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, that's kind of my, my day to day really where I try to focus things because if you have, you know, a good system, set in place that can overcome a lot of small little, you know, errors or details or, or things like that. Absolutely. I think it's so important to have someone that is super organized, kind of overseeing everything because we know how hectic a day to day can possibly get with, with coordinating the funerals and removals and everything like that. Um, where, so what level, like what percent embalming is your funeral home at? Like, are you doing more traditional still, or are you seeing that big kind of transition and where do you see it kind of going in the future? I'm always curious to see, you know, business owners, where they see the industry going and kind of how we can all adapt to make sure we're providing the best service and keeping our businesses, you know, going for another generation, two generations, hopefully, as long as we can get it going, you know? Yeah. Uh, we still have a very traditional base. Yeah. Um, so full service funerals are the norm for us. Um, <laughs> you know, direct cremations are, you know, creeping up more and more, you know, small percentage every year. But still very low for us. We're probably anywhere from 20, 30% cremation, um, okay. which is low if you ask. It depends who you ask in the nation. But, you know, in, in New York City, it's, it's pretty on par. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the bulk of our, of our clientele. Um, you know, f- full service viewings, uh, Catholic, very Catholic neighborhood. So a lot of Catholic churches and then burials and tombments. Um, but more and more, you're seeing the cremation just because cemetery costs are so high. Yeah. And $512 to cremate versus 8000 for a new grave opening. Yeah. Not, never mind the foundation headstone. You know, it's yeah. it's hard to for people to pass on that. Yeah. And I, I, I think the same thing. We're seeing a lot more of the rental casket. So yep. the traditional, all the services and then followed by cremation. We're seeing that like a ton, a ton, yeah. because we are very traditional kind of neighborhood as well. Traditional clientele, very similar to yours, Irish Catholic. Um, so it's, it's, it's on par with you. Where do you see it kind of going and in the future and how, how are you planning for that from a business standpoint? And um, it's just, it's just cool to hear other people's point of views to see, you know, what their plans are to, to make sure that we're doing the best we can. Sure. Um, so options, 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 options. Uh, if cremation is on the rise and, and uh, there are even just non-burials or non-entombments are on the rise because there's right. so many different things, alkaline hydrolysis now, the natural organic reduction, you know, there's other options coming into play. So I think personally, I see a real devaluation in the funeral process, especially with the younger generation although i kind of see it the pendulum swinging back a little bit um i deal a lot of with students i'm very involved with our state association and i'm the chairman uh, of the uh, something called the bridge commission and we deal a lot with students we actually just had our student day on saturday where we invite all the mortuary students from all the schools in new york and you know we um give them a little real life uh, experience stuff that they don't learn in the schools uh and i they're very bright and 
great questions and very enthusiastic about the future. So that's very hopeful for me. Um, but so between is that, that- Is that kind of how you see the pendulum swing is based on those students and what their kind of input and impact is? Yeah, because they're all, you know, there's deaf cafes where they all gather and talk about, uh, you know, what they're going to do or, you know, they invite a hospice nurse in and have them give speeches, you know, stuff like that. So there's a, there's a interest there, but we're talking about very young, you know, teenage twenties. Um, it's the thirties to fifties that are the ones that are like, yeah, you know, grandma did this. So I guess we're supposed to do that, but I don't have a cemetery plot. I don't really want to look at grandma. You know, she didn't want to be seen or, you know, this and that. So there there will be the next 30 to 50 years, let's say, uh, there will be a time where the funeral is very devalued, where people don't see it as something very necessary. Um, So you have to plan for that again with, with options. You have to give people options. Um, even if they're doing cremation, well, you can, you know, put the cremains in a keepsake or jewelry or in be blown in glass or put yeah. ink for tattoos or like, you know, there's so many things that you can do these days. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's so it's important to keep on top of that, to give the family all the information that you have and let them make their decision based on what's best for them. Um, and, you know, that's hopefully it's it's a phase and, and we come back around. Um, if it's not, we'll adapt that, yeah. you know, as, as a businessman, that's your, your main, uh, you, that's kind of the ace up your sleeve. You have to be able to adapt. And if you can't, then your business is going to die. That's it. Right. It's so true because I mean, think about how long your family has been around. Of course they've had to adapt over the years. Their sure. cremation wasn't even a thing for, for half of the legacy of your family, if not more. So okay. it's just thinking about, okay, we we've, we've made it this far. They've had to adapt in the past. We're going to adapt again and make it, you know, whatever it is that we're dealing with, we're going to adjust and find a way to kind of overcome. And I I like that because a lot of people have that kind of bleak point of view of people like like you said, Nick, people are devaluing what we do. And I think showing them, giving them options, like you said, and showing them our value based on like the actual services we provide is going to start to separate funeral homes that maybe don't care as much versus the funeral homes that really want to help families and go above and beyond because they're going to notice and see that. So then they'll be like, oh no, we got like a lot of value from our funeral directors in our funeral home. So that's kind of where maybe the separation might happen. And obviously we're going to continue to see an increase or I guess a decrease in our traditional quote unquote services. But at the same time, we're going to see an increase in the death rate. That's inevitable. We were already starting to see it, obviously, the past couple of years. So it's just kind of rolling with those punches, adjusting as we need to at, from a business standpoint and kind of seeing where it goes. I, I like what you said. Being able to adjust is everything for, as a business person, because if you're stuck in the past, like you you'll die. And that's a lot of funeral homes have that kind of issue where we are a little bit stuck you know, from 20, 30 years ago, where it's like, we got to kind of pick up the steam if you want to keep up with everyone else. And I feel that just like you said, the pendulum shifting, shifting back where funeral homes are like, we got to get on top of our stuff so we can stand out from our competition or help our industry kind of be seen in a better light. So that's where I, I kind of see it uh, a very similar point of view to you too. Yeah. Knowledge and, and patience is really our value. Uh, the family isn't supposed to know all the ins and outs of the funeral industry. We are. 
that's our value. And then, the, you know, the patience to, to handle anything that, that arises, uh, you know, with calm, cool collectiveness. And, and yeah. even if people walk into your arranging office where you're the bad guy and you're there to steal their money from them, yeah. uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta deal with that with grace. If you start getting in a shouting match, that's not professional. That's not what we do. That's not helping anyone. No. Uh, you just gotta, you know, really show, show your value, any like pricing calls, anyone that calls over the phone and just, you know, a simple question. I try to give, I try to answer their question first and then give more information than they ask just to show what kind of value we bring to, right. to the situation. And hopefully they, they recognize that they see that. And, you know, if they get a funeral director that doesn't care and you know, what's a direct cremation 3000 click hang up. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's more than that. And, um, we have something very valuable that they don't. And that's the knowledge about what needs to happen by law, what can happen as far as your options go. Um, so it's, it's important to, to impart that with the family to be sure that they know, you know, who, who they're dealing with and, and who can be relied on and trusted. Right. Absolutely. I love that. And a whole nother aspect is people don't realize how much we do behind the scenes. And so I think kind of articulating, you know, you don't want to be, for lack of a better word, braggy about it by any means, but articulating, you know, there are a lot of processes that go on behind the scenes. This is for someone that's kind of maybe on that negative side of things, just showing, hey, we're going to be going above and beyond, above and beyond for you in so many different ways. And I have sometimes a funeral directors have a hard time um, dealing with those situations because they know how much they're doing behind the scenes and they know what they're dealing with, which sometimes is some pretty gruesome stuff. And if it goes unappreciative, it kind of can leave some people salty. So I think it's important for us, especially people kind of in the higher up at a funeral home to keep that positive mindset saying, not every family is going to be a walk in the park, but like, let's really harp on those families that are appreciative of us and the ones that aren't let's just hit them in the face with kindness and the best service we possibly can so that there's no way they can even counteract and be like, yeah, they did a great job. I think that's, that's part of the whole, the whole game there too. For sure. I agree. Oop, that's a death call here. Hold on just a second. All right. I think the students got it. I'm sorry about that. You know, we've been seeing a lot more business come in ever since we started mortuary marketing. And I got to tell you, all the funeral homes we work with, are they're saying the same thing. So what do we do? We run ads on Google and other similar sites that get directed at families that need a funeral home in your area. It then brings them to a page that we've designed for you that gets the family to call you to inquire for your services. It's really increased our volume big time. It's working for my funeral home, and I think most parlors could really benefit from its uses. I put a bunch of information in the podcast description. Go check it out. I'm always happy to help talk with you and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get back to our morbid discussion. What uh, has it looked like? Your dad's retired now. How long has it been? And what did that kind of look like um, from a succession planning standpoint? Um, I know a lot of funeral homes go through this, whether it's in your own family or if you're trying to purchase a funeral home. What did that look like from a succession planning? My family's sort of going through it too. So I'm, I'm interested to see um, what that looked like for you. And I know it's different for every family. So it's kind of, it's very interesting to see from a business point of view, what that, what that was. Yeah, it's our 
succession planning is a slow um, buildup. So my brother and I are the current owners. We're buying my dad out over an extended amount yeah. of time. Um, you know, it, it's pretty cut and dry because we both wanted to to take over. Uh, we worked together for a very long time already. He's six years older than me, but still, I like I said, I've been working since I was twelve. Him, him yeah. too. Um, right. So we've worked together for, for a while. You know, we know our strengths and weaknesses, and sure. um, it's you know, it's just a slow, arduous. You know, little by little, uh, my dad phased himself out little by little. He's still involved somewhat you know, yeah. you know they never really they retire never, he comes in never, he tells right. me what i'm doing wrong he leaves and i continue <laughs> doing what i'm doing because i know how the world works these days and he doesn't but um yeah you know it's 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 a it's a good process he's taking his time getting out he's enjoying his retirement he worked very hard for very yeah. long and he deserves everything so um he's yeah. he's doing he's doing right and he's finally letting go of, of the reins uh, you know, loosening that grip. He still checks the cameras. He has the cameras on his phone. So <laughs> if if we're standing around for too long or there's too many lights on the building or something, we get a phone call, but you know how it is. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, I've never been in that situation. Neither of us have where you've dedicated your whole life, more than a lifetime of work to something. It's gotta be so hard to kind of give up. And when you've done that same sort of routine, for decades, it's got to be really challenging. And that's probably why so many funeral director or funeral home owners have such a hard time kind of relinquishing their duties in their, but, but eventually you, you have to. And um, thankfully, like for, for my family, my dad is very much like, Hey, whatever you think is going to be best. Like, let's, let's go and do that. But at the same time, he wants to keep it very traditional. So it's like that, that back and forth, but I'm very lucky that he, is accepting of like, let's, let's make this better. And it seems like your dad's on the same page, but they, they're never going to fully retire because this is all that they know, uh, which is funny. What, what does he do now every day that he's, he's gone from the funeral home most of the time? What does he do? So he's a snowbird. When it gets cold here, he flies I, out to Arizona. Of course. There's a, a little place in Arizona in Scottsdale. Um, he's a motorcycle rider. So he has a bike out there. Cool. Um, he's a drag racing enthusiast and photographer. So he actually follows the circuits around out there. Um, but they all take the the interstates from one city to the next. Well, he takes the scenic route, you know, through Yellowstone Park. He goes you know, up to Canada, Edmonton, back down. He's done some real amazing trips, takes some real amazing photos, uh, the Red Rocks and, you know, all that yeah. southwestern area, all that stuff. We've seen some real amazing stuff from him. Um, and that's what he does. He, he just bought a blue Corvette. He's a big Corvette guy. He had one when he when he was in his twenties. He had a '67 uh, vet, so he's reliving his uh, his his youth a little bit with that. He's very happy with that, and um, yeah, just you know, keep him busy. He he has to keep busy. So I do understand what, why he checks in so much and why he does this and why is this not happening? Why is that? Because it's go 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 for 40, 50 years where you're right. the man in charge. Everything's on you, and then like that, it's like. All right, I'm sitting around listening to the winds. Like, what do I do? So I, I, I get it. I try to be nice and patient. Uh, it's rough sometimes when I got 12 calls on and he's asking me details about cleaning supplies or something, you know. Oh, but oh. it's it's I get it. I understand. I mean, that's probably where you get that meticulousness from. Like, it seems oh, yeah. like you're very buttoned up and put together. And that seems like very much the way he was, too. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so do you and your brother, so you have two locations, 
do each of you kind of manage one or is it a lot of back and forth? How does that work? Yeah. So, so technically I'm the manager of the place in the Bronx. My brother's the manager of the place in Yonkers, but that's just on paper. We run them as one whole Got it. entity. Sure. Um, yeah. They're different neighborhoods. Um, so the one in Yonkers is, is a very Irish Catholic uh, neighborhood. Um, and you know, that's kind of what we're used to anyway, uh, yeah. from the original uh, Bronx place, um, that the original, uh, neighborhood there was very Italian uh, Catholic. So yeah. along the same lines. Um, but yeah, it's, it's where the work is. It's where I have to be. There's no, I'm here. You're there. It's, sure. we have three calls here, one call there. Well, I spend three hours here, one hour there, however it works right. out. Yeah. Yeah. We, we actually just got, um, through selling. One of, we had two locations and it was very similar where we would just all kind of bounce around and um, mm -hmm. everyone kind of had their main location, but it would be based on where we were busy. And, um, you know, with, so it's my, my dad, it's my dad and three of his cousins. Um, so they're all starting to go through that kind of retirement phase. A couple of them are retired, half retired. Um, so having two locations, it just made sense for us to kind of reduce. And then hopefully in the future, you know, we could grow into more or something who knows you just never know what's sure. going to happen but um that's that's nice that you're able to kind of do that um and bounce back and forth how much staff do you have uh helping you out and what what does that look like for for you guys there yeah so it's me and my brother um we have a, a young female embalmer who is excellent she's 27 but she works like she's 47 you know she's that she's <laughs> Uh, and we just hired another uh, director after years and years and years of looking. Uh, you know, really workforce is, is an, workforce is an issue in in this state, in this region, really the, the northeastern part of the country. Why do you think um, there's so many options these days, okay. and owners that grew up in that lifestyle of listen, you you break your back for 10 years and then it starts paying off. They still have that mentality these days and it's just yeah. not how it is these days. Nope. You have to offer, you know, people a higher salary than what you might think of benefits, you know, gas card, clothing, uh, you know, uh, whatever yeah. it is, you have to offer more these days because there's so many different options. You can sit behind a computer and code for 80 grand a year. Yeah. Well, how do, how do I compare? How do I try to, get someone like, listen, for 65, I can wake you up at three in the morning and go on a house call <laughs> and then and, you know, try to embalm for two hours. It's, it's difficult because there's so many options these days. I mean, look, there's influencers doing nothing, making right. millions a year. Right. So there's a kid that opens up toys on, on YouTube and makes $50 million a year. So, so how, how am I supposed to compete with that? You know? So I, I think that's part of it. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, to, to try to show the value and the, and what you get that, that real warm feeling when a widow hugs you and says how great that is. It's hard to put that on paper yeah. when, in indeed.com, you know, right. it's, it's hard to express yeah, to someone, sure listen, it. you're going to get that benefit. It's, it's going to be the most amazing feeling you've ever felt in your life. Yeah. I, I can't quantify that. You know, I can't put that down as a salary. So that's probably one reason why why workforce is an issue. But um, but we did get another um, director, uh, nice. Josh, and Gab Gabby was the girl uh, that I mentioned before. Um, so four funeral directors um, right now. Uh, we all have our roles. We all work great together. Uh, Josh has been a godsend. Uh, Gabby has been a godsend because for someone that age, 
um, yeah. to work like she does and and be as professional as she is, it's yeah. it's a home run for us. So so we're great. I'm used to a bigger staff and and more locations too. We have two now, but we had uh, coming up, we had four. Oh, um, so you guys reduced a little bit, kind of like like what we did, yeah. Yeah, well, we sold that original place in Harlem, uh, and then we had another um, place that we sold around the same time, um, another place in the Bronx. Um, yeah. Just neighborhoods changed so much; it just it wasn't it, it wasn't. wasn't working out. You know, paying bills, but not you know, it, it wasn't worth the time to allocate the time over there. Yeah, that was like the, ours too. Yeah, it, it yeah. got very it got very young. To be honest, that two two of the sales of our funeral homes was because the neighborhoods just. It got very young and it just yeah. didn't make sense yeah. to have a funeral on there. It's, There's young people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're used to a higher volume. Um, my, my brother and I came up, you know, just working our tails off with nonstop. Every time you finish one thing, phone rings, you got something else to do. Yeah. So we, you know, we were very used to, to a very high volume. Uh, we're very comfortable now um, with the four directors. You know, we had three for a while. It was me, my brother, and Gabby for a long time. Um, with the two locations, but you know we're doing anywhere from three fifty to five hundred calls a year. That's so awesome. for three directors, it's it's a lot. That's you know we're, we're used to it. We're all hard workers, but it's it's stressful. That so getting that fourth is really really a godsend. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's a lot to to handle on on your plates every day. Like that's especially if you're doing traditionals so often. That's a lot, a lot of work, and it's great when you find like those employees. Like it does. It, maybe it took you a couple of years, but eventually you're like yes like i found one that's gonna be a home run and that's gonna help us so much and that way you can kind of focus on helping develop your business or helping take care of families on a better level or instilling mm -hmm. those processes kind of it seems like you like to do too um it frees you up to do that stuff because i think a lot of times funeral directors in general this is kind of generally speaking but we take so much pride in our like funeral directing side that the business side of things sometimes gets pushed aside and that's so hugely important for us. So it's hard to kind of do both because you want to do both at the same. And I find myself struggling with that too, is like, I want to help these families, but I want to help grow our business. And how do I have time to do And I, and I like being in the prep room too. So it's like, how do you have time to do all these things? So getting the proper staff in line is definitely a huge thing for, for us as funeral homes. Yeah. And outside the funeral home too. I mean, I, I go to my son's baseball practices. Uh, yeah. if, if I didn't have another director or if we were doing a hundred more calls a year, I, I really wouldn't have time for that. My right. dad didn't, he, he ran the business with his uncle for a while. Then there was a split. My, uh, grand, my grand uncle, I should say. Um, but it was just him running four places. He had, he had a larger wow. staff, but he was doing all that. He was doing 600 calls a year by himself. Uh, as far as the owner and the manager right. and all that stuff, he had a right hand, uh, manager and, and a few directors that all had their roles, but um, you know, it's, it's a lot. And he, he missed tons of baseball games and he missed uh, football practice and my, right. you know, uh, whatever the school recital, whatever, you know, whatever it was, he, he missed a, a lot of things, totally understandable, not, yeah. not hating on him. I get it now. Right. Uh, but we're, me and my brother are lucky enough to have each other and to have that schedule. And now we have more directors to help to, to get to the, the family stuff. And also, like I mentioned before, I'm very involved with the state association. Yeah. Uh, my brother was just the president of our local association. He just finished his term. So nice. that gives us the opportunity to give back to the industry, to try to help grow the industry, secure yeah. that future of our, of our industry and our business. Um, and that the way we can do that is by having you know a little more free time these days.
that's perfect. And I think that's all, that's what all of us want is to have that time for our families and for our friends. And it's just kind of a changing type of culture. Sort of what we were talking about before was how can you compete with someone sitting on their computer coding all day? Well, it's like, we want to at least be able to offer the opportunity for ourselves and our funeral directors, like to be able to be with their family. So schedules might be a little bit different than they used to be like 30 years ago. You know, they wouldn't dream of, you know, giving someone every other weekend off or giving someone a weekday off or, or not having to work every week. Like it's just very different now. And we just have to adapt just like adapting to our customers. We as a staff and funeral home have to adapt at the same time too. Um, And you kind of hit hit that on the head. Yeah, explain to a 65-year-old funeral director what work-life balance is. <laughs> Go ahead. I want to be a fly on the wall with that Good conversation. Luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Give us some of uh, – what are what are some of the, the crazier stories you've had to deal with, whether it was in the prep room, removals, or with a family? Um, I'm sure you've seen some some funny or some cool stuff. Uh, give, us some, give us something. Well, nothing compares to, to March and April of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in the, I think our zip code was the highest death rate per capita in the country. No kidding. I think so. Yeah. I heard that somewhere. So uh, we have a lot of nursing, like? we have a lot of nursing homes and big hospitals around us. So, okay. um, dealing with that was probably the craziest thing. Um, it was Jeez. insane. I mean, it was absolutely insane. Actually, the New York times magazine did an article on my funeral home. Um, oh, how to maintain yeah. dignity during a pandemic. Yeah. I invite you to, to look it up. It's really yeah. great. I was very apprehensive at first letting media inside. Um, I spent a lifetime trying to keep them out yeah. <laughs> for certain high profile things. Um, but once we had a few conversations with the reporter, um, and felt that they were looking to tell the story, not clickbait, uh, we yep. felt more comfortable. Yeah. So we actually had a photographer kind of follow us around for a couple of weeks and I was on the phone and my brother was on the phone with cool. the uh, reporter for pretty much every day for those few weeks. Um, and they did a really good job to, but even still, you really can't tell the, the full story right. on what happened behind the scenes. Right. I mean, we did 120 funerals in 30 days. Oh, that's my that's a quarter God. year's work, you know. So Holy it was a challenge God. to organize that to be sure, you know, we had the hearses in the right spot and you know bodies to remove at the right time. Yeah, um, explaining to families. Just every time I hung up that phone for a first call, I checked my messages, uh, you know, my answering service messages, and I had five more first calls. And then I finished with the next one and I had 10 more and it just compiled the, you know, really, really, really crazy stuff. Um, I don't know how Chicago was with that, but New York was just madness. So we were definitely very busy, but I feel like New York just got. But your city is more spread out. Yes. Like New York is like on top of each other. (laughs) There's too many people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I love Chicago. The only national convention I went to was Chicago. This is a while back and I absolutely I was like, it's New York, but like spread out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very yeah. similar. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, I, I, I love you, your city. Thank you. How did you deal with uh, that level of volume for that short period of time? I mean, that's going to be absurd. And what about the kind of stipulations with like the families and the limitations for services? What did that all look like for you guys during that time period? Yeah, so we were having basically if a family wanted a viewing, it was their choice. We were still embalming. Some funeral homes weren't even embalming bodies yeah uh, you know a lot of either misinformation or unknown stuff and, right you know, we don't know but 
we were we were doing it. We wanted to give the families that last opportunity to say goodbye, yeah. especially if they were in a nursing home or a hospital right. and they that couldn't visit them. Yeah. And you know these horrible these people dying alone in rooms with you know maybe a, a nurse there yeah. possibly. That's not fair. So we we definitely wanted to do that for families. Um, we were. My day at that time was locked in my arranged office with mounds of paperwork around me, trying to figure out a schedule on when we can have a funeral. They weren't really um, Catholic masses. They were in the beginning, and then they they stopped. But we were still having viewings for people. I would do like one hour. I think the limit was like 10 people inside the um, funeral home at a time one family at a time, even though we have multiple chapels. Yeah. I had to turn one of my chapels into a morgue, essentially. And there's a picture on that uh, New York Times Magazine article. Um, oh, yeah, boy. Just, yeah, it was it was crazy. We had to get um, a transport service, basically, to come down, pick up like eight to ten people, bring them to a friend, uh, another funeral home of mine in, in upstate New York. Uh, he had his own crematory. So we were having a transport service, basically come down, get eight to 12 people, whatever he could fit, bring them up there. And then on the next round, when he dropped off all those ashes, he would take, you know, another set. Uh, in addition to our two local crematories, one of my local crematories closed because they basically burnt out their retorts. Oh they were in so God. much use that they, they broke down. They were older to begin with, but still. So that limited it. So, you know, I was telling families for cremations, it was like two to three weeks out where normally it's a day. Right. So managing the yeah. direct cremation business, managing the full service business and all the scheduling with that, um, just a lot of paperwork, a lot of organization. I had whoever ha- could work from home, work from home. Basically, it was me, my brother, Gabby, that I mentioned, our secretary, Lisa, who's essentially a funeral director. She's right. absolutely amazing. She's nice. been with us for 12 years. 15 years, something like that. She's my age. Um, And just, you know, all, and then we had another, um, a trade guy that used to work for us uh, come in and and help out. So we had, we had enough people to to handle what we could. Um, We felt horrible turning some people away and we had to turn a lot of people away. Uh, You know, I was getting calls from people way outside of our neighborhood, from Brooklyn, from Queens, you know, people just desperately looking for a funeral home because people would, funerals are telling them, I'm sorry, but we can't can't handle anyone else right now i i had a, a friend up in um way upstate new york and he's like hey i had this is like may he's like hey i have a, a a body in brooklyn can you uh you know do you want the call and i'm like bud the reason why they're calling you is because i probably said no <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just it was so crazy that people were so desperate for funeral homes they were calling 50 100 anywhere. miles away just anyone just please help us it was it was a horrible horrible time for the families um, we, we managed it because like I said, we were used to high volume and we're all go, 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 you know, work, 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 um, planning most of the day. And then when the sun went down, we'd start the removals, yeah. you know, go to the hospitals, those big refrigerated trucks, we would take out, you know, take whoever we could, um, as many trips as we could until we were, you know, near exhaustion. And then we'd go home, eat something, shower, wake up in the morning, get right back at it. Man. It was like that for three months. That's crazy. I mean it's just wild. It, it, yeah. It's unbelievable how, how different, I'm, like I said, we were busy, but it was just not like that. And I remember hearing all these stories of funeral homes in New York with the trucks and the crematories being a month out for cremation. I was like, 
how is that even possible? And it's just, it's wild that you live through that and you're able to come out on the other side and we're able to, to help all those families, like the funeral homes that were, you know, passing away the embalmings, not to, you know, judge or anything like that. But like for you guys to do that is such a huge thing for families that were unable to see their loved one at the end. And I mean, they're, they're never going to forget that I'm sure. And, um, you know, I appreciate what you guys did because I, I, we didn't have to, we weren't at that level. So it's just amazing what, and it just gives us all such a good name uh, for, for people like you that went above and beyond to, to work their, work their butt off for, for months on end. And when did it finally slow down after a few months or when was it that kind of really tapered? Yeah. So mid March is when it really hit. Started, yeah. Uh, so March, April, we're nuts. May it weaned out a little bit, but still yeah. crazy as compared to normal life. Um, I'd say by, by June, we were kind of back to normal. Okay. I mean, listen, there was, there was nobody else to bury. Right. It was everyone that was in that age range or health, you know, right. scale was gone. It was Jeez. just, that's just how it was. It, you know, it, it ran its course. Scary. Crazy. Yeah. Well, Nick, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, we got to come, get into some cool in-depth stuff with your family history and how you guys operate a business. And I think it gives all of us uh, a little bit of motivation to to get on your guys' level. Uh, it sounds like you, you run a great operation with you and your brother. And we appreciate you taking the time and everything you do every day. Michael, I really appreciate it. Uh, the kind words and, and having me on and, and being able to tell my story. And uh, it's a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely.